Thanks for joining us. To keep up with the latest news and podcasts, visit www.propelchurchaz.com. Now get ready for a great message from Pastor G. And uh, to be with you, our church family, uh, we have missed you, although we've been back a couple of times here and there, uh, to be back permanently, I guess permanently, we still have to head up to Seattle this week for 10 days, but uh, basically we're back and uh, Marsh is cancer free. The doctor said as best as they can give anybody a clean bill of health, uh, as far as cancer is concerned, they're giving that to her, and it's been a long road. We thank you for your prayers and your support, your cards of encouragement. They always came at just the right time, and uh, we just appreciate it so much. Uh, she still has a few things that uh, we're dealing with. The pain of the radiation is still there, and the burning is still very evident. Uh, they were like third-degree burns on her body uh, from the radiation, which she suffered with and still continues to suffer with. Uh, but we're just so thankful that God is in the healing business, and he is still touching her, and she's getting her strength. And this week, I think she's got two or three doctor's appointments on Thursday, and then... We go from that to a wedding. So our son finally <laughs> is getting married uh, to a beautiful young lady that we've known for over 10 years now. And she was our daughter's best friend. And who knew she was lurking right there in the shadows all this time. <laughs> and although she accuses me of saying, why don't you marry my son? I don't remember saying that. But I did say to her, why aren't you dating my son, you know, because, but anyways, we're excited about it, and it's just a great time, uh, and I have the privilege of doing that ceremony here on the 26th up in Olympia, Washington, so we're excited. Um, I was asked to speak to those of you that, especially those of you that are new to the congregation, to this church over the last uh, year or so, talk just for a few moments on uh, what I do in my ministry as a chaplain. And I've got one of my buddies here. He's in uniform and comes with me as frequently as he can. Uh, Sergeant Hal Couser sitting back there and give him a round of applause. I mean, we just... We need to be thanking our officers for what they do in the service. It's uh, many times a thankless job, uh, especially if you get pulled over by one of them for speeding. Uh, but they put their lives on the line every day and every call they go on, they never know what faces them when they go to that situation. So uh, I appreciate having the opportunity of working with them. They are my congregation. And uh, I feel like I am their pastor, and I talked to the chief this week, and he sends his greetings to you. Uh, we have the privilege of serving our law enforcement. I have the privilege of serving our law enforcement here in Maricopa as the lead chaplain for the Maricopa Police Department, which means uh, I get to go and to minister to police officers and encourage them and provide uh, help and strength to them in their time of turmoil. Uh, 
to bring encouragement and counsel to them, to lift them and their families up. I get to go with them uh, whenever there is a death in a home and uh, be with the families of the deceased and uh, bring some strength, help, encouragement, and direction to them to help them with those imminent needs that are there and making the arrangements that need to be done uh, in um, right after a person passes away. And also sometimes I'm the one that has to go with a police officer and knock on the door and inform people of the passing of a loved one that's been sometimes unexpected. And uh, we get to go in and many times get to pray with people and bring encouragement to them. I won't say we pray all the time because sometimes it's not received, but I get an opportunity to at least go in and offer that and uh, be able to share with them. There are so many things, and I want to thank those of you that in the past have supported us, have sponsored and become partners with us in our ministry. And this last year has been a little bit more of a leaner year financially because obviously we uh, have not been uh, around the state or around this church, uh, and we appreciate so much your support. And if you consider partnering with us, we would appreciate it so much. Now, our ministry goes beyond this church too, uh, or beyond this city rather. Uh, I'm also involved in uh, leadership within our network uh, where we're providing leadership to the chaplains of our network, as well as I over, I'm the state representative for the International Conference of Police Chaplains, uh, which means that uh, the training and certification of chaplains, police chaplains across the state of Arizona, I also oversee, and so there's a big responsibility there. Uh, but it means I have to raise my own budget because nobody pays it for us. Uh, so any traveling I do around the state, all of those things come out of our out of uh, the ministry money that we receive. In addition to that, we also do disaster responses and uh, respond uh, at the request of organizations like Red Cross or the Assemblies of God or uh, police departments or others to go and to provide uh, disaster spiritual care. And uh, so whether it's back to Hurricane Sandy or the shooting that took place uh, a couple years ago up in Marysville or whether it's going back to Joplin or whether it's going to Oklahoma City for the tornadoes, uh, whenever God, or last summer, uh, the spring last year, I think it was, we were up in the northern part of our state for the uh, fires, the wildland fires that were going on. And uh, so those are the kind of ministry things that we are involved in. Uh, and the list can keep going on and on, but I don't want to bore you with all of that because uh, I've got something more important to share, and that's the Word of God. But if you consider partnering with us in uh, prayer and financial giving, we would greatly appreciate it. And thank you, Pastor, for allowing me and asking me to share that with the congregation this morning. It is greatly appreciated. I, I, I want to talk to you this morning about a message that I, I honestly, I was going to share last year because it was just over a year ago that my wife was diagnosed with cancer and I prepared to share this message with you last year. But the week that I was to share it, uh, we abruptly got called to Washington State where Marsha went through her treatment, uh, which they tell us is the best in the world for her particular kind of cancer. And uh, seeing what they do, we believe it. We oftentimes get a little irritated when we're driving down the road and we see a detour sign or a warning sign about something. And we think that it's a personal thing that ADOT put out that sign saying, sorry, you can't go this way, or you'd be better off to take a detour. As I work with, as I said before, work with police officers and we're sometimes called to assist them and help them in directing traffic because of certain circumstances that we may find ourselves in. I've actually had people try to drive around me. 
thinking that the stop sign or the barricade didn't apply to them. I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. And uh, police officers, they shake their head and say, don't they know that we've got a car across the street for a reason or there's a barricade there for a reason? It's, it's to protect people, either the people that are working the accident, the bridge is out, the road is covered with water. We're trying to, it's there to protect people. And sometimes we take it personal when we see that road sign, but it's there for a reason. The scriptures do the same thing. The scriptures are telling us road signs on how to best uh, navigate our lives and what we are to do. And the scriptures we're looking at this morning, I want to talk to you about the menace of mediocrity. Because today, the, uh, the tendency of our day is to find some comfortable place in the middle of the road to live. In political circles, the safest place is in the middle of the political spectrum. In the classroom, students are comfortable to know that if they receive a C, that's an average grade, and well, that's acceptable. We as followers of Christ, we have been placed in a position of unlimited opportunity. Hundreds of people live in our city, in our county, without knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. And ours is a great mission field. I appreciate missionaries that travel overseas to Africa or Indonesia or other parts of the world, but we have a great mission field right here in Maricopa, Arizona. And it's every bit as great as any other place in the world. In fact, they're telling us that Africa is now sending missionaries back to America just because of the state that we are in. Ours is a great mission field. But my real concern is that we, the church, followers of Christ, will reach that place of being average in our relationship with God. That we will become satisfied just to simply come to church on Sunday. That we will be unmoved by those around us that are in desperate need of the answers, the Savior. That we will just go through life in the status quo, the average, mediocre way of life. That we'll become satisfied with our relationship with God instead of wanting to draw in closer to Him. And seeking Him in a more intimate way. Now folks, this message this morning is God's message to the church today, but I want you to think outside the box as well. And although I'm going to be speaking this morning directly about what the, but Jesus was saying about his church, this very message can apply to so many areas of our lives. How many times in life have we started off in marriages, we're all excited about the wedding, we're all excited about the marriage, but as time goes by, we kind of settle into the into the routine. How about that new job that we got where we are so excited about that new job and we come to that place of work and we put everything we've got into it only as time goes by to settle in to the routine. There are so many areas of our lives that this message that Christ has given to us as a church is applicable in other areas of our life because it's human nature and Christ knew our human nature and that for that reason he sent a warning to the church. 
We are, we need to be seeking more of an intimacy with him. And we want to remain, but what happens is we remain satisfied in an average love relationship with our God. And this is Christ's concern for the church today. So concerned is our Lord about the church that he left a series of seven messages to the seven churches that should be read by the church of every generation on a regular basis because they're warning signs. This morning we're going to examine one of those and it's found in Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 17. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus indicates that he is not satisfied when churches become indifferent rather than enthusiastic about the things of God. (laughs) He states that he would rather have a church that is frozen cold than one that is lukewarm. Now he said that, I didn't. This is his words. He said, I would rather have you frozen cold. And and the only explanation I can give is, at least that way the world can see this church has nothing to offer, rather than someone who's trying to go through the motions and say they are what they're not. Well, let's look at the scripture. He says this, "Write write this letter to the leader of the church in Laodicea. This, is the, this message is from the one who stands firm, the faithful and the true witness of all that is or was or evermore shall be, the primeval source of God's creation. I know you well. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are merely lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, what words that Christ says to the church. You say, I am rich with everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that spiritually you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. My advice to you is to buy pure gold from me. Gold refined by fire, only then you will truly be rich. And to, be, and to purchase from me white garments, clean and pure, so you won't be naked and ashamed. To, and to get medicine from me, to heal your eyes and to give you back your sight. I continually discipline and punish everyone I love, so I must punish you unless you turn from your indifference and become enthusiastic about the things of God. Look, I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. I will let everyone who conquers sit beside me on my throne just as I took my place with my father on his throne when I had conquered. Let those who can hear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God's word to the churches. Church, it's time to awaken. Waken out of our complacency and get into that place of enthusiastic service. Less than 30 years after the establishment of the Church of Laodicea, it had become lukewarm. 
Their faith was no longer at that boiling point. They were no longer emotionally invested in what God was doing. But at the same time, they were neither frozen. They were kind of in that hovering state, that lukewarm state, going through the motions as so often we do in life. We go through the motions of life. And here Jesus has expressed his displeasure with their mediocrity. Mediocrity. The first characteristic I want you to notice this morning about the church of the Laodicea is this. They were deceived about their real condition. They were deceived about their real condition. They were looking through their own set of eyes, but in fact, deceived about where they really were. <coughs> in chapter 17, it says, You say, I am rich with everything I want. I don't need a thing. He says, and you don't realize that spiritually you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What sad words that Christ has to say to his own church, the bride. The city of Laodicea was noted for its wealth for its clothing industry and for its medical facilities. History tells us that in both 17 AD and again in 60 AD that Laodicea had, had uh, experienced a devastating earthquake that basically uh, destroyed everything in their area. However, in spite of the devastation, they refused government help because they did not want to be considered a disaster zone or a poverty situation. They were prideful and they didn't want to be declared, declared that disaster zone. They said, we have enough money to do this on our own. There was pride involved. This area was known for also for its expensive wool, uh, which they produced nearby, and it was desired all over the world. Thank you. It would be considered the uh, fashion capital of that time, just like maybe Paris or London or New York is today. Now, these were the characteristics of the city. I wanted to say one more thing. Another asset they had was they had eye powder. And because of the desert situations, they used this eye powder as a medicine for their eyes so that they could see clearer. Now, the characteristics of the city were this. But what about the church in that city? What about what had happened in the, in the uh, church itself? It had taken on the characteristics of the city of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea had taken on the characteristics of the day. And friend, that's the case today. Either two things will happen. Either we will change our city to become more like the church, or the church will take on the characteristics of the city. If we had visited the church of Laodicea, they might have talked about the price of their property and the beautiful buildings that they had. And they may have talked about the popular preacher that they had as the orator every weekend. But theirs was a self a tragedy and a self-evaluation because they said, we have everything we want and I don't need a thing. They said it. It's recorded right in scripture. They were satisfied with what they had had of Christ. They no longer hungered for more of him. They no longer thirsted for more of him. They no longer desired more of God. They felt like they had arrived. 
But how many know that this life is not arriving? This life is a journey. How many know that marriage is not a start and a finish, but a journey that we go through? How many know that the relationship with God is not a start and I'm, I've arrived, but it's a journey that we continually grow in? That's the way God has called us to. It's not that we'll ever arrive at that place. And friends, if we ever feel like we have arrived, then we've got blinders on. We've lost it. We've lost it. One of my core values is to be a lifelong student. And um, in fact, I, I think I've told you this before. I finished my first doctorate, and uh, I've only got one. But I finished my doctorate, and my wife said, never again. Never again. Uh, it's so much work. A few years later, I was at a conference and a friend of ours was speaking about a, a doctorate program and she leaned over to me and she says, why don't you go for another doctorate? I said, who is sitting beside me? Is this my wife or somebody invaded her body? <laughs> Education is a constant thing. We've got to be constantly learning. We've got to be constantly growing. We've got to be constantly growing in the Lord. Everything we do is a, is a journey and what God has called us to. The church said it needs nothing, but the fact is they needed everything. Listen to the words of Jesus who knew the condition of the church more than anybody else. He said, you don't realize that spiritually you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And each one of these words expresses a pitiful situation to those who are oppressed by the burden in a wretched and miserable situation. They need someone to help them lighten the burden. And Jesus is telling them this. The poor need our gifts. The blind need our guidance. And the naked, they need clothing. And the church of Laodicea had everything except Christ. And what a tragedy. They were totally deceived about their true spiritual condition. They said that they need nothing, but Jesus disagreed with them. Jesus said that you need everything. But what about our church today? What about the church of 2017? You know, where are we? What about the true condition? What about each one of us in our personal relationship with God? What's the true condition of our hearts today? Are we indifferent to the things of God or are we enthusiastic towards the things of God? Do we just anticipate and, and desire more of God in every area of our life or have we become oh, satisfied? Where are we? Have we had enough or are we never satisfied? And always hungering for more of God. Has our thirst been quenched? Or do we say like the psalmist David, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O Lord. Are we constantly thirsty for more of him? Why is it that 95% of Christians never lead a person to personal faith in Jesus Christ in their lifetime? Why is it that Sunday worship attendance is not a priority in the week? Why is it that so many Christians will, will attend church if it fits into their daily schedule? But so many times other things are more important. It may be the beach. 
It may be the hockey game, or it may be the football game, or it may be the baseball game. Other things put a higher priority on our lives and our worship with God and meeting with our brothers and sisters in Christ or time to spend alone with God or worshiping one with another. We put other things so much ahead of him. Why is it that so many Christians never contribute to the work of the church and ministry? Why is it that a daily Bible reading and prayer time gets pushed aside and gets crowded out by other things? Why is it that so many Christians are entering into sin and, and doing what is right in their own eyes, justifying what is right? When the Bible clearly states something is a sin, friend, then I'd, I would say it's a sin. And yet we try to justify saying, well, that was during that time. But if God's word says it, then it's a sin. Amen. Never changes. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I recognize that there are cultural sins around the world. And to one area, one thing may be wrong. And another area may not be right. But when God's word says it's a sin, then friend, it's universal. Amen. Why is it that we try to work things out on our own? Rather than asking the Holy Spirit to be our counselor and our guide. Could it be, just could it be that in our lives, in our churches, in our communities, that we have become lukewarm, that we have become indifferent, that we have deceived ourselves into believing that we're all right, that we are in need of nothing? Was it serendipity that says, I'm okay, you're okay? You know, and we've in the church kind of taken on the philosophy of, yeah, we're great the way we are. We don't need anything else. And yet God's word says, different. You need more of me. The second thing I want you to note today about the lukewarm church is they were destitute of, the, of God's best blessings. Jesus said to this in verse 18, it said this, listen, my advice to you, is to buy pure gold from me, gold purified by fire. Only then will you be truly rich. And to purchase from me white garments, clean and pure, so that you won't be naked and ashamed. And to get medicine from me to heal your eyes and to give you back your sight. Everything that the church of Laodicea thought they had Jesus says, I want to give it to you in reality. I just want to give it to you. Pure gold refined by fire. I'm reminded of the little story about the man that went to heaven and he saw the streets of gold and he was pulling up all the gold uh, streets and putting it in his pocket and somebody stands back and says, why is he pulling up pavement? You know, gold is, is so readily available to God, but it's not just gold, it's pure gold. It's refined by fire. And if you know anything about the refining of, of gold, and I'm not an expert on it, but what I have read tells me that gold is put through fire and it's like Rice Krispies. It snap, crackles, and pops. And it's burning out the impurities that in it are in it. And sometimes our lives are being refined by fire to bring out the pure gold in our lives. And the Holy Spirit allows us to go through those things so that he refines us. 
he says, is it gold you desire? Then Jesus wants to offer you gold that is pure, that is tried in the fire. Is it clothing that you need? Jesus says, I want to offer you the white robes of righteousness cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Is it vision that you need? Jesus says, I want to open your eyes so that you can see the invisible things that man never dreamed about. Dream far greater than you ever thought was possible. The church said they had what they could provide, but they didn't have what God said I want to provide. I'm afraid that so many of our churches, much of what they have or do can be explained by human effort about what we have done, about the organization that we have done, about the planning that we have done. But friends, what, happened, what has happened in our lives, in our churches, that can only be explained by divine activity, about what something only God can do. We were going through the number of surgeries and situations that Marcia had faced this year. And... Um, one of the surgeries was they thought her cancer was stage four. And so they went in and removed a growth off of her lung. And when they removed the growth off of her lung, we'd been praying about it and uh, they removed that growth and took it back. And the doctor himself said that he was convinced. He told us before, he said, I'm convinced it's cancer and it doesn't look good. And at stage four, it's just make, basically make you comfortable type of thing for us. And um, he took it off and he walked into the room. And I'll never forget my daughter-in-law who's sitting here today was sitting with me. And uh, he came over and he says, it's a good thing I'm not a betting man. Because he said, I would have bet everything on the fact that it was cancer. And he said, but what we took off was a bunch of dead cells. And I said, well, we believe in a God that answers prayer. What is it? What is it that we have trusted God for that can't be explained by human efforts? You know, that can't be explained by human effort. That can only be explained by the power of God. You know, what have we done in our life that we would say, God, you're taking control. Jesus says we've been satisfied with far too little. You'd say... You have been satisfied with what the world can give. And he says, I want to give you what the blessings that would cause the world to sit up and wonder at what is going on here. John Wesley, the great preacher, said this. He said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergy or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of God here on earth. What a tragedy when we become self-satisfied with our own human effort, when we could be enjoying the blessings and the power of God in our lives and in our churches if we just reach out and let him take control. It's a great tragedy for us to become indifferent to the things of God rather than have a daily enthusiastic atmosphere and attitude towards him anticipating what God can and that he will do through our lives. And that's the problem with being average, friend. Is that we forfeit God's blessings and we become satisfied with far too little. We become satisfied with the the efforts of the flesh. I want to move on because our time is going. The final thing I want to bring out to you this morning is they they were deprived of their fellowship with Jesus. 
Look at verse 20. It says, look, I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Now we've often used this verse, and I have used this verse so often, about people asking Christ into their heart to be their Savior. However, I want you to notice something today, that this verse appears in the context of the church, uh, of, the, of Christ's letters to one of the churches. That Christ put this right to the church. He's standing at the heart store of the church, outside knocking, asking if he can have access. It's the picture of him standing at the door, constantly knocking, saying, won't someone please open the door and let me in? Jesus was excluded from heaven by love, excluded from the world by hate, but he was excluded from his church by indifference. Friends, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Can you imagine the, a, a picture more tragic than the picture of Jesus standing outside his church? Standing outside our hearts, knocking and knocking and knocking, wanting to come in, and it says he's constantly knocking. Let me ask you this morning, are we indifferent about the things of God? Have we lost the thrill of our, of our first love with Jesus Christ? Are we indifferent about serving him and doing what he asks us to do? Are we indifferent about our church attendance? Are we indifferent about reading our, our Bible? Are we indifferent about spending the time in prayer? Are we indifferent about sharing our faith and our love relationship with others? If lukewarmness characterizes our church, if lukewarmness is the characteristic of our heart, then Jesus is on the outside knocking, desiring to have entrance into our lives and into our church. And he will have nothing to do with lukewarmness, indifference, or mediocrity. The real tragedy of the church of Laodicea is this, that they didn't even know that Jesus was excluded from their church. They didn't even know that he was knocking at the, at the door. Dr. Carl's Bates, a famous author, once said that God could withdraw his spirit from the majority of our churches and he wouldn't be missed for at least six months. Wow. As we continue to study this verse, there's a wonderful truth that I want us to look at today before you leave. Jesus says these words, if any man will open the door. Say it with me. If any man will open the door. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't take a vote of the congregation. It doesn't take the deacons. It, it, you can't blame it on, on a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher. You can't blame it on the non-tithers or anyone else. The Bible says, if anyone. It doesn't put an age restriction on it. That could be a man. It could be a woman, it could be a senior citizen, it could be a boy, it could be a girl, it does not matter. He says, if anyone will open the door, it is possible for one spiritually minded man or woman or boy and girl to open the door up and say, come on in, you're welcome in this place. 
We don't need to wait for someone else. You can't blame it on somebody else. You don't need to have a business meeting and decide if we're going to let the door open up or not. It's one man, one woman, anyone will do. He says, if anyone will open the door. He said, I will come in. Holman Hunt painted a famous picture, the light of the world. A picture of the thorn-crowned king knocking at the door. You've probably seen his painting. And Holman Hunt, someone came up to him and criticized his painting and said, Hunt, you made one mistake. He said, there's no handle on the door. Hunt replied, no, that's no mistake. For that's the door of the human heart and it can only be opened from the inside. My friend, the Lord is knocking at our heart's door today. Christ has been excluded from many people's lives by their cares of life, by indifference, by a lukewarmness. How about us today? Will we open the door to our lives, to our church, and let him in? I want to close with a little fairy tale. Some of you may have heard this before. But it goes like this. Once upon a time, on a dangerous Oregon seacoast, where shipwrecks often occurred, there was a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut with only one boat. But the devoted members kept constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station and it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to be associated with the station and give of their time and money for the support of the work. New boats were bought and crews trained. The little life-saving station, it grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt they had to have a more comfortable place. And it should be provided for. Soon, they replaced the emergency cots and beds and put in better furniture and enlarged the building. Now the life-saving station be came a popular gathering place. It was used for, well, kind of a sort of a club. Few, uh, members were now in, uh, few members were now interested in going to see, few members rather, were now interested in going to see. So they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motive still prevailed in the club's decoration. And there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the inaugurations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and hired crews brought loads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people in. They were dirty. They were sick. Some of them had black skin. Some of them had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up. The property committee immediately 
had a shower built outside the club where various victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before they came into the clubhouse. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to normal social functions of the club. Some of the members insisted upon the life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, that they just have to go and build their own life-saving station. As years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you were to visit that coast today, you'd find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks, they occur frequently in those waters but most of the people drowned. Once upon a time, there was a church, but that's a different story. Heavenly Father, challenge our hearts today, I pray, and speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Open our spiritual eyes that we may see clearly and not be blinded to the things around us. Help us to honestly evaluate our own personal situation and to see where we stand. Have we taken on the characteristic of the city? Have we taken on the characteristic of that which is around us? Or does our soul long after you? Are we thirsting for more of you? Are we desiring more of God? Where do we stand? Help us to evaluate our own lives. Help us to judge ourselves today. Father, I pray that your word, as it has been presented to us this morning, let it just encourage us to take that healthy evaluation of our own lives to say, Lord, I do need to make some adjustments in the destination that I'm heading. Help me, Lord, today to adjust the circumstances of my life because I have fallen into that complacency that is so easy to get involved in and trapped into. Help me, Lord, today. And I'm wondering with heads bowed and eyes are closed today, I'm speaking to the believer today. And you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I just, I've fallen into that trap. I didn't realize it, but I have been convicted today and no one's sitting here in judgment because it can so easily happen to every one of us, myself included, where we have fallen into the trap of being satisfied with far too little and that we have fallen into the trap of being lukewarm. So I'm asking you today, Judge yourself so that you don't have to be judged. If you say, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me in this closing prayer. 
because I felt like I've fallen into that trap. Just raise your hand up, put it up quickly, and put it right back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this place. Thank you, thank you. Put it up and put it down. Father, you've seen the hearts. You've seen the hands. You've seen the circumstances of every person that is gathered in this room and has heard my voice today. I thank you for your word and the encouragement. And I thank you that the hope is there that if anyone will open the door, you will come in. We open the door wide to you, Heavenly Father, and thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this church and our pastor. Bless him and his family and the team here, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.